0: Perhaps more true than any other book How often do we hear verses taken out of context The preacher makes his or her point with a single verse or well, Sometimes even only half a verse is used If the second half doesn't really quite fit with what they're trying to get through How often have we heard all things work together for good It's from Romans 8.28 Perhaps when someone's going through a tough moment in their life Someone very caringly, will say, don't worry, all things work together for good. Tell that to Lot's wife as she looked back over her shoulder as Sodom and Gomorrah was disappearing. Didn't work out quite so well for her. Isn't that great? My notes back. My, my computer decided to go away. Um, if you read the whole verse in Romans 8, there are some qualifiers for everything working out for good. One is you have to love God, not the Jane Austen type of love, but love where we serve him with all our hearts and with all our souls. Love where we worship him. Love where we walk in his ways, we praise his name because he is holy. That's the kind of love it talks about. And secondly, we have to be called according to his purpose, his intentions or his aims. To simply say all things work together for good is actually not always correct. In fact, if we think about it, there are a whole lot of false Gospels out there that have been cherry-picked from the odd verse here and there, taken out of context. We have the good old name-it-and-claim-it Gospel Prosperity, I'll get it out eventually, Little Gods Theology. There's a whole host of them that cherry-pick little bits out of the Bible without looking at the whole Bible in context, I guess. And that is my point with starting with this little quiz As it's all about context. Context, context, and context. Whenever we read a verse, we need to almost step back in time to see who it was written to, what the wider context is around it, sometimes what the whole letter is talking about. There's a good old saying it says, let the Bible interpret the Bible. So in other words, if there's a little bit you don't quite understand, look at other parts in the whole Bible and it will give you input into them. Now, today's verse is one that is often taken out of context. Not only with the verses around it, but with the whole letter to Galatians, which it's included in. Today's verse is Galatians 5.1. Now, you'll see it, and it's it's not a huge one, you'll see it in your newsletters. It says, For freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. This verse is often spoken about and quoted in all manner of things that Christ has set us free from. I've seen sermons with American preachers getting up there and claiming it's totally talking about slavery. And we've been set free from our slavery of the few hundred years beforehand, don't ever become a slave again, stand strong, the social justice movement. Freedom is also often misinterpreted as freedom to do whatever I like, freedom to be who I am, freedom to think what I like and to say what I like. In order to see what Paul was truly getting at with this verse, let's go back to the start of Galatians and have a quick overview, I guess, of the book. This letter was written, not to one church, but to several churches in the region of Galatia between AD 48 and AD 55. This actually makes it one of the earliest letters that was actually written, that is included in the New Testament. It wasn't written to one church, it was written to this group, which is in present-day Turkey. And this is where Paul had travelled on his missionary journeys that you can read about in Acts. Um... He had been there, he would preached the gospel there, he would set the churches up in this area. Now, when you read the whole letter, you can see that Paul is actually quite frustrated with where they are currently at. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. And in chapter 4, he says, I'm afraid that I've labored over you in vain. Once again, let's go back and look what was going on We all know that Christianity began As a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem But its message was for all humanity So it quickly spread beyond Israel And by Paul's time as a missionary Perhaps there were as many non-Jews Christians as there were Jewish Christians This sparked quite a debate because a lot of the Jewish Christians wanted the non-Jewish Christians to follow the Torah. They, wanted, they felt it was important that they followed the laws that were there. The common practices that we read about, eating kosher foods, circumcision, observing the Sabbath, to name a few. And many of these Jewish Christians believed that the non-Jews or the Gentiles, if they didn't follow these rules, they weren't really and truly Christians. Now, we read that there are over 600 rules, 613 actually, um, in the Torah that they had to actually do according to these people. Of course, Paul said we live by grace. They were saying, yeah, grace is good, but we've got to have these laws as well. The, the group themselves were called the circumcision party in chapter uh, 2, verse 12. So you could presume that that was pretty high on them party's manifesto, I guess, that that had to be done. Not quite sure how a political party today would quite fare in the general election if that was their name, um, or if there was a group here at Wilson State that decided that, yes, we need to go down that road. Thankfully, we don't. However, to get back to the time that this was written, this was actually a very big deal for the people that were there. The Jews themselves have been observing the Torah for many, many years, centuries, generations, And these new people that were coming along and being welcomed in weren't following that rule. Now, when Paul found out, he was quite heartbroken. And this letter is a result. He first challenges the Galatians with a summary of the gospel message that he gave them about the crucified Messiah. He then argues that this gospel is what creates the new multi-ethnic gospel for Jews and Gentiles. Ultimately, the family of Jesus. He then shows that this gospel is what truly transformed people in the power of the Spirit. He opens his letter by expressing his somewhat bewilderment at the Galatians that they had embraced this different gospel after he had been there uh, around three times, we believe, from reading Acts to talk to them about it. Paul moves on to teach that demanding following of the laws of the Torah, is wrong for all kinds of reasons. First, because it's betrayal of the gospel, or in his words, people are not justified by the works of the Torah, but rather by faith faith in Jesus. And when we have that faith in the Messiah, Jesus, we are justified and declared righteous because of faith in him. He moves on to talk about how we've died to the law and how we've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer us that lives, but Christ who lives in us. When we think of the law, I personally, when people talk to me in the past, that go, well, we're free from the law. I think of the Ten Commandments because that, in my mind, is kind of what the law was. But back then, it was far greater. As I said, there were 613 laws. Imagine that. Imagine having this rulebook, I guess, of 613 things you had to do. We can't even start at 10 o'clock, so we're going to have real issues, I believe, with that. <laughs> so when we read our verse for today, which was chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. We can see that this has actually nothing to do with social justice or the abolishment of slavery It doesn't give us carte blanche to do whatever we like because we're free. Imagine being pulled over by a traffic officer doing 110 and you say to the traffic officer, but sir, I don't come under the law. I'm free from the law. I still think you're probably getting a ticket. Paul is actually talking about a very specific point in this, that we are free from the yoke of slavery to the law. And that is the law of the Torah. The yoke is the yoke that the Jewish Christians were trying to put on the non-Jewish or the Christians that you have to follow these rules. And Christ is saying, no, you are free. I have set you free. But what has Christ set us free from? And perhaps one could ask more importantly, what has he set us free for? We are free from the curse of the law. Paul explains this in chapter 3, and how it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things, written in the book of the law. He explains in verse 13 that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So we are free from the curse of the law. We are also free from condemnation. In Romans eight one. Paul talks about that, that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ. And we are free from the power of sin. In Romans 6.6, it says, We know that our own sinful selves were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin. And we're free from worry. Good old Matthew 10, which we probably all know, What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing. The very hairs on your head are numbered, so don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. So what are we free for? What is the freedom that has been given to us to be used for? I guess it's time for you guys to think, just to sit for a moment and go, what is the freedom that Christ has given me? What is it for? What's the purpose? To make me feel good? Maybe. What else? See, I can remember, ooh, four or five years ago, I was climbing up Big Mount Peel. And I'd climbed up Little Mount Peel up to the hut. I then was carrying along the ridge line all the way across to Big Mount Peel. It's quite a long walk for those who had done it. And I was stopped sitting down, having my lunch, right on the ridge. And I was sitting there, and I could see this hawk just... It was called ridge-soaring. The wind was coming up, hitting the ridge and going over, and the hawk can just sit there and just fly backwards and forwards along this ridge. I was sitting here my lunch watching this hawk, and he obviously saw me. So he came flying over, and he stopped directly above me. Now, I couldn't reach up and touch him. He was higher than that, but only just. Like he was literally, I would say, a metre and a half above me. And he just stopped there. And he stopped with his, these are wings, with his wings out, and he just looked at me. And what I couldn't believe is looking up underneath him, I'd have to confess I was slightly scared for a minute, but once I got over that, he was there in his, I don't think they're called feather, uh, wings, uh, fingers, they're called feathers or something, but the wee fingers on, he just sat there. And he, if he wanted to move, he'd go, eh. And he'd just move over, and he go, eh, and he'd move back. And I can remember looking at him going, wow, how free is that, this bird that could just soar through the sky? Paul wrote, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom from sin, freedom from worry, freedom from the curse of the law. But freedom, it's not an out clause to kind of do what we like. I was amazed at the hawk, just as I say, by moving the odd feather here or there, he could soar left, right, up or down. I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to have that freedom facing this long walk that I've had to get back down the mountain? I do wonder, however, if we romanticise it a little bit when we think of freedom. You know, the hawk was free, free to fly along, to soar along the ridge, but that hawk, he was subject to the laws of physics he still had responsibilities. Maybe he had young ones in his nest that he had to get food for. Is freedom truly what we think it might be when we think about it and put it in context of we are free but we still have responsibility? We've probably all heard messages on TV and movies that tell us be free for who you are, be free for what's inside, and be true to yourself. Quite a lot of me involved in that. Be true to me. Be true to yourself, and look where that's getting our society with all sorts of issues. With oh, you are who you are, and just to just accept that um, with sexuality and all sorts of other numbers. Numbers. I don't know where that came from. Um, however, sadly, this kind of message is also creeping into the church. I am who I say I am. I am. I am me. Don't tell me I need to change. I'm free to think what I want to think. I'm free to think what fits with my truth and my rights. We're not the only ones who struggle with this freedom and what to do with the freedom Jesus gives us. It's clear that the church in Galatia, Galatia work, the churches in Galatia, were also struggling with this freedom. Paul states in verse 13, 15, "'You have been called to live in freedom, "'my brothers and sisters.'" But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. Use your freedom to serve one another. This is what freedom from sin and worry and the curse of the law is for. It's to give us freedom to serve one another. Freedom to love one another. Now I'm going to tell you something that happened a few years ago in another church I was at. Do a close to my own heart, so bear with me. This other church had a wonderful split in our music team. It Started off with, what kind of songs should we sing? We had one group, we could perhaps call them the Love It and the List it team, I'm not quite sure But one group wanted hymns, hymns were great They had great theological meaning They were just what we should be singing Another group went, no, 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 we need the new modern songs They've got catchy beat If we want young people to come in our church, these are the songs we need to sing In some ways, perhaps both were true, but we didn't think of that back then. Before we knew it, we had quite a serious split. We had discussion groups, we had meetings, but people were quite entrenched into various, well, the two camps, I guess. Our pastor was away overseas on an extended time, so it was just left with the elders and the groups of people That were quite split into separate camps Now look, I'm a reasonably ordinary guy If someone said to me Do you believe in demons? I would have gone Yeah, I guess so It talks about them in the Bible So yeah, I believe in demons But I'd never had any experience personally with them Perhaps until one night At an elders meeting We'd finished our meeting And we were praying and praying for the church And I can remember it came upon my heart Quite clearly To ask for personal forgiveness For my attitudes And to ask for forgiveness for the church This really gets but hard Before I knew really what was happening I wasn't sitting in that kit. Well, I know I was still sitting in that kitchen But my mind wasn't in the kitchen I was transported in some way To this other church And I could see And I can still see it in my mind's eye In the corner above Where the music team Had all their instruments and drums and things laid out There was I can only describe as a demonic spirit Sitting in the corner Just sitting there I don't know how long that, that was—I just don't know how long it was happening, but I, I can remember the others in the group going, "Pete, are you okay? Pete, you're there. You're right." And I sort of came back, I guess for one of a word, and I told them I said what had happened, and the elders went, "Well, we need to go to church right now and pray." So we hopped in cars and and roared up there, and we went in, and we started praying, and nothing happened. And we prayed and nothing happened. I could see this black, I don't know how to describe it really, just a black thing in the corner. Nothing happened. And I can still remember sitting down in the front row with my head in my hands going, I don't know what to do. I I don't know what to do. And I heard this voice in my head that said, stand up. (laughs) Sorry. And I stood up. And somewhat anger, I guess, for want of a word, as to what we have let into God's church. We prayed, and this demon disappeared. The next day, we decided to call the worship team together. So we all met at church, and I explained what had happened. And the group that sat there or perhaps looked a bit like a lot of stunned mullets to be honest And looked at me and, and I went I don't know what to do now And one of the group went I do, we need to sing worship So he got up and grabbed his guitar And came to the front And started singing And It was an amazing time of healing It was an amazing time that God's spirit Spoke into people's hearts Amazing time of healing It's so easy for us to fall into following our own wants or our own desires. And sometimes they become so big, they rob us of our joy, of our peace and our freedom. Paul goes on and he says, So walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. We are in conflict with with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want, but you are to be led by the Spirit because you are not under the law. The acts of flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the thing that's like. I warn you, as I did before that those that continue to live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. At the church I was speaking of, there was little doubt that there were people that were walking in the flesh. To be very blunt, they were walking in sin. I include myself in this. We We could and all and did justify our own case for what songs would be best for the church. However, We were all wrong. Because of the benefit of hindsight, our attitudes were pulling peoples apart. It became bigger than the songs that we would sing. It became an us and them mentality. Looking back now, how could we as a Christian group tolerate hatred? Because yes, it had got to that with some. How could we tolerate fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions and factions, all in the name of a better church? a better worship service. It's somewhat easy now, I guess, to look back and see how fleshly and selfish we were. But trust me, when it's right here in front of you, it's hard to see anything else. It's hard to see another person's point of view. It's not so easy to love your brother or sister in Christ and to respect their thoughts. A few weeks ago, after one church service, I went up to a man here, whom him and I were on different sides of the discussion that was had a year ago. And I wanted to make sure that we were still good. And I went up to him and I said, I just want to check that we're still good because we did have different views on things. And he looked at me in total surprise, I guess. And he said, how could I let a matter like that Affect our Christian brotherhood And I thought, "Wow, What a thing to say How could I let a thing like that Affect my Christian brother And I was Amazed, taken back That this person Was obviously walking in the spirit Not walking in the flesh But the fruit of the spirit Is love, joy, peace Forbearance, kindness Goodness Faithfulness, gentleness, self-control Against such thing there is no law Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and the passions and its desires Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another What we needed at our other church with the music team More than reconciliation with one another was reconciliation with God. We were walking in what Paul describes as walking in the flesh or walking in sin. You have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but do not let your freedom satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in one command Love your neighbour as yourself But if you are always biting and devouring one another Watch out, beware of destroying one another We needed to reset our hearts We needed to have a whole lot of less of, less of self-desire Less of self-opinion And more of self-denial we needed a heart transplant. We had calloused hearts that were selfish. We wanted our own way. Hearts that weren't really following the spirit. For the whole law is fulfilled with the statement, you shall love your brother as yourself. You shall serve your brother as yourself and you shall honour your brother as yourself. One thing I didn't tell you with the story, because I can't decide to or not, is when when we were singing at the end after our church meeting, where everybody got together, and we were singing songs of worship. One person stood up, turned around, and walked out. Now I don't know. To be fair, they may have somewhere that they needed to be. There may be genuine reason. Or they may not have been ready to forgive I don't know But I can still see that person's back And it kind of cuts That God was doing a wonderful work Of transplanting people's hearts Of removing the heart of stone And putting in a heart of flesh And this person walked out As I say, there may be good reason But maybe there weren't Jesus said, come to me, all you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I guess today as we finish, I pray that we will have the courage to remove the yoke That we're all inclined to go back to The old yoke that's kind of comfortable Fits well, been wearing it for a long time It's kind of heavy But I am kind of used to it Maybe the yoke of the law Maybe it's a yoke of sin A yoke of self I guess there are dozens of things we can weigh ourselves down with There are dozens of things robbing our joy robbing our relationship with God and robbing our relationship with others and with peace. There's only one way to find peace in this world and that's by putting the yokes of the junk we carry around. That's a high cross. Sticking it down there at the foot of a cross. It is the only way. Jesus said the yoke to him. Because he cares for us He guides us And guess what If you yoked to Jesus All these other things You can't really pick up anymore Because you're yoked to Jesus Christ right beside you How do I If I'm yoked to him How do I get hold of anger and hate And all these things Because I'm walking in Jesus Christ And he is guiding me So I might get the music team to come back up, please. I guess I believe today God is calling us to let go, to cut off the baggage of things in the past, to let go of hurt, to come to him to find forgiveness, to be yoked to him, to replace our hearts with a new heart of love, joy, peace, self-control, kindness, and gentleness. To give up our freedom to become a Christ A slave for Christ Do you know when Paul calls himself a slave He called himself a slave to Christ quite a bit The word he used for slave Was the same word as they used For the slaves In the bottom of a ship That were holding onto an oar and rowing They weren't even up on the top deck Deciding what was going to go on or where the ship was going to go They were in the engine room Just rowing it along So we're going to sing I surrender all We can only pray that today we don't let this opportunity to go to surrender all to Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Thanks, Brent.